Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to Macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. I'm Chloe Mel. And I'm Joe Minardi, and this is The Run Through. Shama, today we're going to hear from Vogue editors about their favorite cultural moments of 2023. Oh, I'm excited to hear what, because I, I need a reading list and a kind of a like... Oh, well the, then... A reading Chloe and a Shama film list for the, for the holidays. Yeah, this is your holiday quick list. Uh, but we also have best books, best movies, favorite plays, songs, political moments. Stay tuned. But first, big... Headline this week is that Choma Nadi is in the New York Times. Uh, I loved their <laughs> 71 most stylish people list. And Choma appeared alongside Rihanna, Beyonce, Paul Mescal, and the Met Gala Cockroach. It was actually oh a very God. funny, exhaustive list. And it was a true delight to see our beloved uh, featured so beautifully. Um, oh, I'm in such disbelief. I'm actually afraid to click on the link oh, in case trauma. it's not real. Oh, good grief. <laughs> and one of your best dress moments, I would have to say, was your vermilion, ethereal, Ferragamo oh. British Fashion Awards moment. Tell us your overline. I mean, I we saw all these photos of you presenting on stage. I know. It was, it was a big night for Vogue, big night for the winners. What were, yeah. what, I mean, we talked about it quite a bit last week, but what were your your top top notes? Wow, it was really starry. It was really glamorous and it was really good fun. I, I have to say, like my first British fa- Fashion Awards, I just picked the right year to come back because it felt like a really amazing year. I mean, to be in this, you know, in, in the same room as Gwyneth Paltrow and Amal Clooney and, uh, you know, and all these fabulous designers. And it's this huge, obviously, the, the Royal Albert Hall you know, in and of itself is like a super impressive room to be in because it's just so historic. What was less inviting was the rainy red carpet, but that's to be expected. You're in London, so you know that, you know, expect rain. But people really, I thought, pulled out all the stops and looked fantastic. I was excited that our guests last week, Chapova Luena, won for a new establishment women's wear. 
I know. It was such a good list of winners, you know, and I was seated at the same table as Martine Rose, um, who also won an award, and she's just the best and so much fun. And it was such such an honor to present to Maximilian Davis, who's also been on the show who's the sweetest, the chicest, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I just had to present. I can't imagine actually having to give a speech. And that is that is just super nerve-wracking. Our very own Edward Enninfall was honored, and that was a really touching speech. And then I thought Sarah Burton, who's like, you know, very, very shy, but gave it an incredibly heartfelt speech. And it was just lovely to see her have the spotlight because she's just contributed so much over the years. So beloved. Yeah, so beloved. It felt like a big night. It was super duper fun. I have to say also in terms of red carpets, um, the Academy Gala in LA last weekend. Oh yeah, that was great. Was really quite a showing. And I feel like it got everyone excited about award season. And it really does feel like people miss dressing up and are willing to take risks and dress decisively. Um, I don't know. Who your favorites from the night? You know, I have to say, I'm a fan of Lupita. I liked that she paid homage to Cecily Tyson with this I sort know. of baby's breath It was very Minnie Ripperton, too, with that. Because didn't Minnie Ripperton do that with, with the baby's breath? But yeah, I thought it was very beautiful. I love Barry Keoghan from um, Saltburn oh, in yes. his brown vest. It was so good. And trousers. I'm excited for, for men at the... Award season this year. I feel like we have some good dressers. Andrew Scott, who we're talking to in a few weeks, and oh, that's Kogan, right. yes. Paul Mescal, Pedro Pascal. There's people who really lean into fashion, which is a fun. Charles Melton. Um, yeah, Charles Melton seems like he is the internet's boyfriend for 2024, totally, right? Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, Greta watching... Lee in that red Lueve with balloon sleeves was really uh, fabulous. She never gets it wrong. She never also, gets I it wrong. Billie, I liked Billie Eilish. I mean, yeah, me too. But yeah, it was a big weekend in LA. What did you think of the Balenciaga show? Thoughts, feelings? <laughs> it was actually so nice to see that California light um, on my screen in rainy London. <laughs> um, and such a genius idea to do to do it there and all the, the, the Air One collab. And the, oh, my it God. Felt, and, 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 you know, I think that we can safely say that Juicy Couture tracksuits are going to come back after that show. I um, mean, but for me, it was really about the evening wear, the evening looks. There were some really beautiful evening looks. Obviously, the big kind of UGG style boots and the Juicy Couture like tracksuits are going to be what people talk about from a, you know, sort of fun viral fashion perspective. But oh, there was a very starry, starry front row too, Oh my right? gosh, it, such a starry front everybody. row. That's what happens when you show in LA, right? It's like you get, yeah. you get all the big, the big names. And Choma... Today, you must be headed to Manchester for Chanel. Yeah. There's a kind of an older part of the city, which is really very cool and and um, where all the, the kind of new restaurants are, you know, where the club scene has always been. So I'm excited to see which celebrities they bring to Manchester with them. I'm sure there'll be lots of interesting and great um, Me kind too. of local talent. Yeah. Expect to see a Chanel football scarf. Like we're, we're predicting that's going to be the hero. Item, I mean, you've right? been wearing Don't football scarves. One? I love a for football a long scarf. Time. Yes. So you yes, really I anticipated have, but... that trend. Oh, yes. And Ooh. I would be very happy to exchange my football scarf for a Chanel football <laughs> scarf. 
I want to know what you thought of the ASAP Rocky paparazzi Bottega Veneta ads. I mean, I thought it was pretty genius, right? I mean, we it, it kind of is a throwback to those Stephen, Mizell. I mean, I think that we saw those that shoot in Italian Vogue from the from the you know from the two thousands that people still reference to this day that basically imitates paparazzi shots, right? And mm-hmm. I think that concept continues to kind of um, fascinate people and just where where kind of like fashion is imitating popular culture. In this case, it wasn't a model. It was ASAP Rockin'. Well, it was just I just, I, I kept wondering, like, is this real paparazzi? Is it like a, is it a fake paparazzi like we've seen so many times? I think it's very cool that it was a real paparazzi, but it took me a minute to confirm that. Oh, it was a real paparazzi that shot it. No, it was a real paparazzi image that they recycled. Oh, no way. Yes. I didn't know that. I think that's what everyone was doing was like, ooh, look at these Stephen Mizell inspired images. And then that's what's subversive about it. Oh, my God. They're from gay heaven. All right. I'm slacking Christian, our fashion writer, Christian Allaire. And he was confirming that they bought all these pictures from Backrid and Getty. And they are true paparazzi images. And potentially there was an agreement that... ASAP would leave the house wearing this Bottega look. Yeah, and and imagine ASAP Rocky not having to go to a set, not having to do anything. I think it's genius. What a genius, genius move. Absolutely. We've got to keep mixing it up. You know, you've got to keep surprising people. I mean, I think campaigns now more than ever. I mean, look at like Maggie Smith and Loewe, right? Everybody went nuts for that. Like Maggie does absolutely no press, right? I know. And it was just like, it was the campaign that stole... The year, maybe, arguably, or was, you know, I mean, it's like one of the, I think the Maggie Smith image on British Vogue's Instagram is like one of the most liked, you know, so. So cool. Well, you know, we love Maggie. I know. Who doesn't love Maggie? This week, I had a great conversation with Chloe Shama and Taylor Antrim, and we had some great roundups of their favorite books of the year and movies and TV of the year. But I wanted to hear from you. I mean, I have to say both Beyonce and Taylor's tours. Oh, my gosh, yes. The, like, Renaissance tour and Eras tour, uh, like, industrial complex is was a real thing this year. And people dressed for that. And it was really, I think, set the tone. Particularly with Beyonce, the, the, the number of young designers that she put on the map, the number of designers that she put on the map yeah. during her tour, she had so many fabulous changes. And I almost think she never wore the same thing twice the entire time. And obviously she impacted the way that she set this unofficial dress code that people really took on. Yeah, Um, completely. I mean, between pink and silver, you had the two big colors of the year, right? Oh my God. The run through will be back in just a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? 
Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. So one of my favorite things about working at Vogue is that the people we work with, they are like culture hounds. They are seeing everything, reading everything. They know exactly what's going on all the time. If you ever want to know what the big new play is, you do not have to go very far in the Vogue office. And in this part of the show, we are going to hear from all sorts of our Vogue friends about what their favorite culture was to consume this year, 2023. My name is Marley Marius. I'm a features editor, and I saw a lot of great theater this year, but I think my favorite thing was seeing the encore's presentation of the musical The Light in the Piazza. It's a show by Adam Gettle and Craig Lucas, and it's just a lovely sort of mother-daughter story with a beautiful score. And I just hope it transfers to Broadway next year so that more people have the chance to see it. Ugh, now I'm even sadder that I missed Light in the Piazza, but I'm hoping it transfers to Broadway, like Marley said. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to hear what everyone else's recommendations were. You talked to Taylor and Chloe Sharma, right? I did indeed. Welcome, colleagues. Hi, Chloe. Hi. Two Chloes. I call you Shama and I yeah. call you Mel. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Taylor Antrim. I'm the deputy editor of Vogue. I'm Chloe Shama. I'm a senior features editor at Vogue. And for more context, Chloe is the ultimate culture czar at Vogue. Yeah. All culture that is covered by Vogue is coming through Chloe's I feel so fingertips. powerful with that description. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> I do have my hands in a lot of different things. And, and Chloe, many Shama culture related and I things. Are, we're constantly bonding over culture talk. I feel yes. like this is a the, the beating heart of our um, sort of cultural point of view at Vogue. Yeah, this is our text conversation. Over here. Yes. We are here to talk about what culture we loved this year and what our best of our takeaways are as we close out 2023. Chloe has four children under the age of 10, and the fact that she reads anything at all astounds me. She outreads all of us. But That's she great. outreads all of us. And I want to know, because I'm not reading much at all these days, but in a dream world where I was, what should I be reading for 2023? Yeah. Well, it's sort of self-preservation that I read as much as I do because I would like to consume other forms of culture, but I'm home a lot because if I go out, 
requires childcare and uh, mm. complicated arrangements. So it's kind of a function in a weird way of having four kids that I read as much as I do. Mm. Um, are you reading like in the middle of the night though? Like are I you waking up? before I go to bed oh, okay. every right. night and I'm not a great – I sleep okay when I'm asleep. But <laughs> it takes me a while to get to sleep. Right. So I'm often reading like an hour a night, which oh, sounds really dedicated and like I, you know, have a consistent practice of reading. But it's honestly truly like – partly a way to get to sleep. But I still read very entertaining books. It's not a comment on the fact that they put me to sleep. (laughs) Um, No, I read before bed, too. That's the only option. Yeah. So I was looking back at our Vogue Best Books of the Year, which is something that we update periodically and is, like, kind of my baby that I tend to every couple of months and update it with what we like. And I picked my top five, and then I realized they were all books by women, and Mm. they were all books that Interestingly to me, had not made it onto the New York Times 100 Best Books of the Year, which I kind of refer to just broadly as a comprehensive survey of the mm-hmm. year, which like, which seemed interesting to me because it struck me that actually the book world is very fragmented and that, you know, people yeah. are kind of reading what they like and what they— That's so interesting. Yeah, gravitate towards, and I certainly am, and my list reflects that, so it's driven— by my personality, I suppose. But I love the counter-programming, too. I mean, yeah. we don't all have to be driven by the 100 notable books yeah. list. But it was also a moment for me to think that this actually was a bit of a strange year because there weren't, like, tentpole books, for lack of a better expression, I guess. There were not. I was thinking that, too. Like, yeah. there wasn't one book that everyone needed to be reading No, I think year. if there was anything, you could say maybe it was Zadie Smith's novel and came out in the fall, The Fraud, which we obviously wrote about in the magazine and covered online. Um, but even that book, I feel, didn't maybe have the resonance that some of her other novels had. It wasn't on my top five, at least, although yeah. I did enjoy what I read of it. Um, I mean, I should say that, broadly speaking, we're talking about fiction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think we should clear out a little bit for you to make the case that Spare was the book of the year. It was on our, our you know, best of the year list and obviously broke records for book sales. But, like, it's not like you think of that as a— Memoir that will stand the test of time. How exactly. dare you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Chloe v. Chloe in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truthfully, I didn't read it. So, you know. Well, I listened to Harry read every word, and yeah. I adored it. And I, I, I would go to the mat that there is a Shakespearean grandeur in the drama of yeah. Maybe it'll have a resurgence. spin of that oh book. Goodness. Okay. Yeah, it might have a resurgence with the final final episodes of The Crown. I know. So my first oh, – actually, I should say this is not in any order, but they're sort of ordered, I guess, by when they came out. My first is a book called Sam, called Sam by Allegra Goodman, who's a novelist who's been around for a while, a couple decades at least. And this was a book that is really bluntly and simply described as a coming-of-age novel. And it's written in a way that sounds very dubious when you describe it in that the – narrative mimics the age of the protagonist. So it kind of is sort of simplistic and kind of like elementary almost when it begins and it evolves as she becomes older. And it's a very simple book in some ways, but I think it's like deceptively simple in that its cumulative impact is really moving. And it's ultimately kind of about the relationship between a girl and her parents and specifically her mother and her kind of troubled father. And it's just like a very, in a low-key, but like very effective emotional book. Oh, my God, um, I love this book, too. Co-sign yeah. this. Also, uh, great rock climbing scenes. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, or climbing gym scenes, I should, yeah. scenes, I should say. Wow. Yeah. Niche. Yeah. Sam by Allegra Goodman. Definitely, yeah. definitely great, 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 great She also did a wonderful essay in mm-hmm. Vogue for us. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next book that I wanted to highlight was called The Rachel Incident, which, as Taylor pointed out to me when I was discussing my love of the book, echoes the Martin Amis novel in its title and does have a kind of chutzpah to it. Mm. Um, 
It's about, it's by a young Irish novelist. I believe this is her first book, Carolyn O'Donoghue. It's funny. It's written from the perspective of a woman looking back at her college relationship with like a dose of perspective. She's like both indulging in the romance and also kind of seeing the more comic, ill-formed decisions that she made as a person in their 20s. And I think it's a really nice book maybe for someone who's like not in their 20s anymore but romanticizes that era. Third one is called Loved and Missed by a writer named Susie Boyd who is Lucian Freud's daughter. I loved this book. I loved this book. Yeah, we both loved this book. This is the top of the five for me. It's the writer's, she's a British writer, unsurprisingly, and (laughs) this is her first book uh, to be published in America, but she's written, I think, eight novels or something like that. So it's kind of an amazing story of the publishing of it as well because, you know, it's it's unusual that someone would write so many books in England and have none of them published here. Again, the synopsis is really not going to do it justice, but it's about a grandmother who ends up kind of by default adopting her granddaughter because the mother of the granddaughter is an addict and really not able to raise her. It is almost like a thriller to read. I mean, when I try to sell it to people. So gripping. Yeah. I say that it is like the story of kind of raising a child, but told with that kind of like heart in your mouth. Interesting. Okay. um, like level of stress, but enjoyable stress. (laughs) Read it in a weekend. Yeah. The fourth book is Roman Stories, which is Jimbo Lahiri's collection of short stories that are set in and about Rome. Hmm. So Jimbo Lahiri, people might know, has been involved in like a, I want to say, decades-long experiment to really master the Italian language. She moved to Italy. She wrote several books in Italian before they were translated back into English. I thought that her last book in that mode, being written in Italian, translated back, was not really that successful from my perspective. It felt weird, distanced from, like, what I associate as the voice that I fell in love with. But this one, I thought, was, like, a successful experiment. It is, like, really shows her love of the city. It shows her kind of her love for the whole country, really. And it'll take you on a vacation. It's like a... That's fun. It takes you to another place with, like, a lot of love and affection for that place. Mm -hmm. But it's got themes of, you know, what Europe is going through right now with, like, refugees, immigration, political movements moving to the far right, to the far left. That's all kind of threaded in there, even though it wears them very lightly and it's like an easy Totally agree. Okay, lovely. And then the last one on my list is Lauren Groff's novel, The Vaster Wilds, which is a super weird book. And you have to give yourself time to get into it because it is sort of partly written in the register of Elizabethan English, I would say. Not entirely. (laughs) Okay, that was enough to completely turn me off of her previous book, which was also had like a kind of... She's written two books in Elizabethan... I I went... (laughs) The, f- the previous one, did you read it, Taylor? Um, I'm, Called Matrix? I never read a Lauren Groff book. Oh, okay. Oh, so I, I am I a like completist. Her. Yeah, everybody loves her. I'm a Lauren Groff, I think, basic completist except for the penultimate book, um, which turned me off because it was also written in a very strange, like almost medieval English yeah. mode. This one is written in like Elizabethan English mode, but not entirely. I mean, there is more modern than I'm describing it. And it is telling the story of a young woman who's brought – to the Jamestown colony in Virginia in the early, very early part of the 17th century and flees it because it is like a time of total terrible starvation and kind of like makes her way in the vast American untamed wilderness. And it is a survival tale and it is so gripping and thrilling once you get into it. And everyone that I've recommended this book to has said like, I really wasn't sure for the first 40 pages and then I couldn't stop reading it. Wow, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. I think this is a great list. I'm so excited. Also, for everyone who's listening who maybe got overwhelmed by that, uh, on Vogue.com, you can see the list in our article. 
So those are Chloe Shama's top five books of 2023. But before we move on, another very important book of this year. Hi, I'm Christian Allaire. I'm Vogue's senior fashion writer. And I think my favorite cultural moment of the year was Britney Spears releasing her memoir, The Woman in Me. Uh, I think it was really great to see Britney reclaimed the narrative around her life, and it was a really powerful and poignant read. And what I really loved was having the general public finally respecting her and realizing how great she is as an artist. And so it's Britney, bitch. I loved it. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, what TV did we love? So TV and movies. I think this is a weird year, obviously, with the strikes and um, a year that was impacted by it. There were some movies that were pushed uh, away. I mean, pushed off to, you know, pushed off to 2024. Releases Uh, as well as shooting. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think when I look at the movies and TV for the year, I do wince a little bit and think, oh, we missed some things or maybe it wasn't that great. And I, I do worry, though, that 2024 might be even more choppy. I was going to say, I feel like that's going to see the effects of the strike more. That's where we're going to see the effects of the strike. And the good news, I have to say, is that I think this was actually sneakily a quite good year for movies. So if Why you, sneakily? Cause well, because the box office is not good. Okay. And if you looked at the list of top grossing movies from 2023, I mean, wow. These are not good movies. Okay. And like what's at the top? Yeah, but Barbie and Oppenheimer did well. Good. That's did, what I was going to say. So did well. there, there's one enormous phenomenon sitting in the movie year, which is Barbie and Oppenheimer. And uh, I, I defy you to draw any conclusions from that because I, I do not understand even to this day why exactly that happened, why these two sort of like somewhat – you know, auteurish movies that happened to open the same weekend broke every box office record known to man. The problem for me is that I don't think either of those movies are great. You didn't like Oppenheimer? I thought Oppenheimer was fine. I had a hard time. I thought it was dazzling, technically. I thought it was a hard movie to connect with emotionally. Hmm. And Barbie was not for me. You, did you <laughs> see Barbie? You, Taylor. <laughs> I saw, Barbie yeah. skeptic over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so th- those, those are going to be at the top of everybody's like what happened this year in movies list, but they just aren't the great movies from this year. And so for me, I'm really enthusiastic about some movies from the year and I'm going to tell you three, but I just want to say that like I worry that movies are becoming a little bit like opera. Like it's this thing that are appreciated by a smaller and smaller group of people. And award season makes it seem like these movies really made a big splash. But I I keep waiting for these movies that I think are really good 
and our events to feel like events when they come out. And I feel like movies come out in a very quiet way now. So Maestro, for instance, definitely. I thought this movie was ravishingly beautiful, so well done. Bradley Cooper, Carey Mulligan, uh, just turning in two of the best performances I've seen in a long time. I have to say, I went to see it on Tuesday night in a theater, and it was packed, not a seat free. Right. Mm. Charming, lovely. I love to mm. hear that. Right. Right. I mean, goes against Taylor's theory. It, well, yeah, I just I I do not feel that Maestro has come out and everybody is like, "Have you seen Maestro yet? Have you seen Maestro yet?" Yeah. You know, I think Maestro is great, and I urge everyone to go see it. the 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 movie, which is my number one of the year, though, um, oh. is uh, Past Lives, and I think Past Lives is a movie that uh, is being talked about, but it came out like in June. It came out this summer, yeah. very quietly, and. Past Lives is a first film by a playwright. I think her name is Celine Song. Celine Song. And it stars the incredible Greta Lee. Who's Who been you may have heard on this podcast this where podcast. we had a wonderful conversation. And in the pages of Vogue and on the f- front row of every fashion show yeah. ever since. She seems to be everyone's favorite actress right now, mine included. It's a movie about a childhood romance that in a way sort of doesn't come to be. Um, these young boy and girl in South Korea – we're best of friends, and then the girl, played by Greta Lee, immigrates to America, and she reconnects with her childhood friend over the internet as a college student. And then again, when he comes to visit New York City, where she lives when she's an adult and in a relationship, and th- there's this feeling of like, what if this romance had happened? And it's very poignant. It's incredibly relatable, and it's just a very moving, authentic film. Everyone just seems to love it. You all have both seen it, right? Loved. I have yeah. to confess, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh but it's my goodness! Definitely going to be on my list for the end to. of the year. It's a, it's a must see, and I and I do think it'll be a dark horse best picture um, contender. Mm. My third one is quite niche: Anatomy of a Fall, French film uh, that came out in October from Neon, and it's just such a good movie. It stars Sandra Hewler. She's a German actress. And it's a French courtroom drama about uh, the death of this character's uh, husband who falls or is pushed from the second floor of their chalet. It's set in the sort of like Alps of France. And a reconstruction of the fault lines of their marriage and suspicions about whether or not she was uh, responsible for his death. She plays a novelist. He was a novelist. So there's a sense of like a creative – a marriage of two creatives that – has all these hidden sources of conflict. Anyway, I just urge everyone to see it. I think it is so gripping. It's uh, a few good men, but French. <laughs> a few good French men. <laughs> anyway, those three movies are there – were, there were more that I liked this year. Probably um, um, the most fun I had in a movie theater was this, like, small Australian horror film called Talk to Me, which is just, like, 90 minutes and so just over in a flash and super, super fun. But but those three, I think, are really indelible. TV, quickly. Um, mm. I don't think it was a good TV year. Uh, mm. I'm just going to say it. I do think um, there were some moments uh, in TV that I really liked. And I'm sorry, Succession, Bear? Well, so those are my those are my first two. But, I mean, it, that's a, that's, it's a pretty shallow pool after those things. My number one TV moment of the year was the third episode. I think it was the third episode of Succession when Logan dies. Oh, mm. and I, on it the just, boat. It, yeah, so the party is on the boat and the kids are finding out. So good. On the boat. And I, I felt like I was watching something so revelatory, like great, great theater, you know, such good acting. I was like, TV used to be full of 
shows that I was so gripped by moment to moment like I was by that episode of Succession. In fact, the whole season. I mean, there were great moments throughout the season, but I would I would pinpoint that um, episode three yeah. uh, when they're on the boat and they learn about You Lone watched Rose it Death. ahead of time, didn't you? I did, and it was heavily embargoed, and I was like, it was one of those experiences where you want to talk to someone about it, but you absolutely cannot, and yeah. I thought to ruin anybody's experience of this episode. I remember at that moment seeing you kind of like uniquely torn up by your inability to speak to anyone about it in a way. There was a certain <laughs> sense of like, I've just experienced something and yet I can't discuss it. Yeah, you, you would <laughs> Because really you do both didn't want to ruin it and yeah. you signed all these uh, yeah. NDAs or whatnot. Uh, okay, I liked The Bear season two. I wrote about it for Vogue.com as a real level up for a show that was came out in the first season that everyone sort of loved as everybody's underdog. Season two, I thought was like, wow, the show is really taking a big swing and had a lot of like creative risks and, you know, filmed in Copenhagen and all these things. I liked but didn't love it. I would say the finale, the last episode, is just really fun and quite riveting. And I find I find Molly Gordon totally irresistible. Oh, I, mean, I love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I interviewed her for the site and was completely enamored. Finally, I would just I would just like to direct everyone to the incredible British show Happy Valley, which had its concluding third season this year and is just low-key one of the best things what on is TV. It? Happy Valley is a police procedural oh. um, starring Sarah Lancaster and and James Norton is the... Ooh, is, love James Norton. Yeah, he's, he's sort of the criminal that she put behind bars and is... Oh. Um, her nemesis throughout three seasons. It's really a three-season arc. Three came out this year. This show's been going on for years and years, right? It has. It has. Well, even though se- it was only season one was like a decade ago. Right. So Happy Valley, The Bear, and uh, Succession. Those were my TV highlights of the year. So now let's shift gears to what we thought about music this year. We talked at the top of the show about the Beyonce Taylor Swift industrial complex. <laughs> I can't believe that that's been such a big thing this year, but it really, they really stole the year, didn't they? God bless them. Um, and one of our colleagues attended one of their shows. Hello, my name is Jose Criales Sueta. I'm a fashion news writer at Vogue Runway. The best concert I've been to the entire year and probably in my entire life is Beyonce's Renaissance. I went to the second date in New Jersey in July and it was life-changing. I also just went to see the movie and it changed my life again. Not only is she an incredible performer, but the way she sort of expanded her over to like welcome the queer community and all the the black people and the queer people that inspired the music that we all listen to every single day is just incredible. Plus the fashion was amazing. It's just really like, I don't think there's anything like it out there. Uh, Taylor, sorry, Antrim, not Swift, was a little less enamored by the music scene this year, correct? I I, I found it a little bit of a deflating year because when you look back on the really big music moments, it's it feels like artists that have been with us for a long time. I mean, Taylor Swift obviously was yeah. an enormous year. Yeah, Drake has the number one record right now with oh, a record really? that like no one thinks is his best, but like is dominating the charts. I quite like the Olivia Rodrigo record, but I'm yeah. not here to tell you that it represents anything new. In fact, it sounds like it could have come out in, you know, 1990, 1999 <laughs> or, yeah, or 2000. I, I do quite like it, Guts. Uh, so I felt like people who really love music retreated into their sort of niches and yeah. found interesting artists. I fell in love with this Icelandic bossa nova singer. Oh, my oh, God. Whose name I'm going to mispronounce because it's spelled like Lafe. I think it's L-A-U-F-E-Y, but it's actually pronounced like Lave, I think, something akin to that. And she is so charming and delightful. She has a very kind of like black and white Chanel mini dress aesthetic. But she's, and she sings in English, I should clarify. 
she's not like Bjork at all, which is obviously the only Icelandic singer people know. But like, yeah. there's something otherworldly about her voice, which she kind of shares. That was my musical discovery of the year. And we should probably point out that the SZA album came out this year and that yes. everyone loved. I mean, that song Kill Bill is really, oh, yeah, I think, yeah. a song of the year for sure. And mm. the Grammys are the Grammys are shaping up to be kind of a great showdown between all ladies, indomitable female artists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got Taylor, SZA and Olivia all in the same category. You've got Miley in there. Um, Ice Spice. She's in there somewhere. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. So great to have you. Uh, We have so much to read, so much to see. Yeah. Holidays are really when you catch up on stuff you missed through through the year. So we, we gave you some good stuff. I'm Laia Garcia Furtado, and I'm the senior fashion news editor at Vogue Runway. My favorite cultural moment this year was definitely Bad Bunny hosting Saturday Night Live. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Benito. And um, first of all, because I'm a huge Bad Bunny fan, but also because I thought it was really cool to see how they adjusted to somebody who doesn't speak English very well. People are wondering if I can host this show because English is not my first language. I don't know if they know, but I do whatever I want. And I got to be there, so that was also extra cool. Now, we've got a few more picks from our very own audio team. Before we end the show today, could I tell you guys my favorite moment in 2023 culture? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I guess I should say who I am, right? Yeah, please. Okay. Susie Lechtenberg, uh, executive producer of this show. This is my first time on the show. Queen of the pod. And, um, you know, this is a little navel-gazy self-serving, but my favorite moment in culture has got to be that we hit the one-year anniversary of the Run-Through podcast. It's been a a fun year. It really has. Yeah, and I just wanted to say congratulations to you two because it's been such a big year. And also just thanks so much to all the listeners. We are so grateful for all of you. So uh, keep listening in 2024. I'm Alex John Burns, and I am a producer here on The Run Through. My favorite culture moment, it was hard to pick, but I feel like there was a lot of fun political things happening with the Republican Party. Fun is maybe the wrong word, but a lot of antics that I think will be very memorable. And my favorite, which SNL also recreated in a sketch, was the third Republican debate when Vivek Ramaswamy was coming for Nikki Haley about her daughter's TikTok use. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. And she said, leave my daughter out of your voice. Which, like, she really tried. She tried to say the right thing, but she kind of, she kind of messed up the expression and it was very entertaining. And then she called him scum. So great content out there. I'm Chelsea Daniel and I'm a producer on this very show, The Run Through. One of my favorite memes of the year was Tokyo Tony, who is Black China's mom, on a red carpet saying, well, yes, in this very silly tone. Well, yes. And it's become kind of a inside joke, I would say, among all my friends. And we answer everything with, well, yes. And it's very annoying. But that is my favorite <laughs> cultural moment of the year. That's it for the run-through. See you next week. Bye-bye. The Run-Through of Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. 
The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We've tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.